Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists. Why, Tom? For the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. That's a pretty clear vision. Yeah, it's been pretty consistent over three decades. And so we press on. Absolutely. We plod. We plod. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. I'm Tom Askell. I don't know if we already said that or not, but if we did, then we said we it still twice. are. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Um, we have a documentary coming out. We do. It's a documentary. It focuses on what's going on in the SBC, some of the bad things that we see happening that are coming in from the world, these godless ideologies that we think have seeped in kind of uh, unbeknownst and unaware. And we're trying to expose them, shine light on them, and say, if these things are not addressed, if we do not uh, call them out and stand firm on the Word of God against them, refute them, then the trajectory of the SBC will continue mm. in a very bad path. Mm. And we don't want to see that happen. Mm. So um, check it out, founders.org. We're very excited about this documentary that's coming out. Here in the first segment, we want to talk about what it means to plod. Plodding is plod. an important thing to do. Plod for God. Plod. <laughs> That would fit on a T-shirt, wouldn't wow. it? Wow. Yeah, back in the <laughs> 80s and 90s, that thing would be so awesome. I imagine it'd have like Samson on it with muscles. There you go. That's yeah. always the case. Um, we th- this The principle of plotting is an important one today because it seems like we, we just want quick fixes, you know, we're yeah. kind of like bottle rocket solutions. Bigger, better now. Um, yeah, and we want it right away, microwavable, here yeah. it is. But the way we have to live the Christian life is day in and day out, faithfulness. So you wake up and you do a little bit of work. You're like the persistent widow coming back again and again, being faithful in the small things. He was faithful in the small uh, will be given more. He who is faithful or small will be faithful with much. Yeah. And the Christian life is that way. And pastoral ministry is mm-hmm. that way. In fact, any ministry is that way. William Carey is probably the the best known plotter in Christian history. Uh, he, he said, I can plod, I can per- persevere in any definite pursuit. And he said, to this, I owe everything. And whenever you do a survey of Carey's life and you see the multiple translations of God's word, you see him living through incredible heartache and pain and his family and on the field. I mean, he had been translating for years in the warehouse where all of his work was stored, burned to the ground. Mm. And the next day, he starts over. Mm-hmm. He, he plotted, and that sense of okay, what I'm doing is good. It's right. It's for God. This is a worthwhile endeavor, and I will get up and do it tomorrow morning, and go to bed and do it again the mm-hmm. next day, and just continue. We, I feel uh, personally so susceptible to this temptation, and then I think I, I see it in people generally. This um, that here we are, we're we're staying the course, and there's this shiny thing over there. And even uh, you know, Bunyan gets at this in Pilgrim's Progress, right? He's going down the celestial, yeah. he's going down the King's Highway, and the guy's like, "Hey, man, look, you know, this is a way. He's way too hard. Let me That's show right. you a better way. Let me show you a quicker way." So, uh, different applications of this principle. I, we we try to hammer this all the time with our people in church life. Pastorally, we look at people, and if they come on Sunday morning to what we call our core seminars, it's a time of Bible study. And then they come to church and they worship with God's people. Sunday evening, they gather back again with God's people and they worship again. We even have a midweek service. So, if, you know, the, if schedules permit and there's no providential hindrances, you hit that. If you plod week in, week out, gathering with the saints, good things happen. Yeah, it's just absolutely. the way God works. They're the common means of grace. And if those are neglected, well, then challenges come. And then, yeah. Now, this is not to say... 
uh, that, you know, marriage retreats, marriage cruises, youth events, all of that. We're not saying all of that stuff's bad. Right. It's just you have to keep your priorities right. And even this, even our podcast, we're so thankful that people listen to our podcast. But man does not live by podcast alone. <laughs> I've been having to say, I, I, I'm actually. Thank the Lord. And so, boy, let me make my qualifications. <laughs> I, I'm really excited about this. There's a number of podcasts that are coming together, and there's like these really cool things that are happening. So it's like, listen to podcasts, feed on that while you're going about your day and doing your deal, but make sure you're going to church. You're gathering with God's people to sing, to pray, to hear God's word preached where you're accountable. And you might not walk out of that Sunday morning service and think, wow, man, this was revolutionary. Look right. at all the things that have changed in my life and my worldview and my spirituality. But yeah, you have had a meal and yeah. you're able to go on. Um, yeah, it, it, it is the way God forms us. I mean, I think the normal means of grace are, are way underestimated and undervalued in our day. So just the things you mentioned, if, if, a, if a guy who is leading a family or in a single person who's saying, okay, I really want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, build your life around the church. If you have a family, build your family around the church. Find a healthy church healthy church and build your life around it and take advantage of the means that God's prescribed in his word that that church is to do and carry out. And if you apply yourself to that, you read the Bible every day, you mm -hmm. pray, you repent, you trust Christ, you get up and do it again, then you're going to find over time imperceptibly for the most part that God is building you up. And that doesn't mean there won't be crises where you're going to need special counsel, special care, or uh, things like that. But if, if you can make that your day in and day out practice, it is just like eating a meal. I've had some people say to me occasionally through the years, you know, well, I just, I mean, you know, I don't remember your sermons. You know, I mean, I remember while there, I don't remember, you know, I don't know what you preached last month. I said, well, do you remember what you ate on Monday, the second of last month? You remember what you had for dinner? Well, no, mm -hmm. but, but you got some nutrition from it, didn't you? Yeah, it kept right. you alive, and you keep doing it because it keeps you alive. And that's true spiritually. I, just, I think we underestimate the power of these normal means of grace that yep. God's prescribed for that's us. That's right, and then doing that individually. So reading the Bible and praying, just just <clears throat> schedule your time, plan ahead. Say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is a slot in which I'm going to do it. That could be five minutes. Mm -hmm. Just decide, you know, after I brush my teeth in the morning, I'm going to do it, whenever it is. And that way you don't feel overwhelmed. You don't think, okay, I'm going to go on this uh, crash diet Bible <laughs> reading plan. You know, again, if you want to take a week and fast and do all that stuff, go for it. But when you come back from that, find a way to incorporate this into your life. Do this with family worship. If you have kids, gather them around the table, decide when you're going to do it. doesn't have to be long, but you're putting, you're putting a penny in the bucket every time. It's like reading a good book. You know, I think, boy, I really want to read this book, but look how big it is. Just yeah. sit down, read a chapter a night. And this, so many good things happen when you just develop this. Um, I'm going to do the difficult thing that's in front of me that I know needs to be done. Do what needs to be done. And then you're, you find over time, hey, look at this. It's starting to go. Yeah, yes. Uh, Admiral McRaven, who spoke at a commencement uh, for the University of Texas years ago, made the theme of his talk, Make Your Bed. If you want to change the world, make your bed. Yep. And he wrote a little book about it. And that's the principle. Get up and do what you're called to do right now and do it again tomorrow and just be faithful in what you're supposed to do every day. And as Christians, it's not like we're without guidance here. Mm -hmm. God has spoken to us about how we're to live the Christian life. So so often we think about the will of God of, you know, man, what does God want me to do? Does he want me to drink milk or does he want me to drink water? You know, we're paralyzed because we're looking at this perfect idea of, of what handle I should grab before I lift a drink to my lips. Mm -hmm. Rather than saying, you know, God's already told us what his will is. 
He's told us we're to repent of our sin. He's told us to trust Christ. He's told us we're to feed on his word. He's told us we're to walk in the spirit. He's told us we're to love him supremely. Mm-hmm. We're to love others sincerely. I mean, that's a full agenda. Yep. Take what God's called you to do and do it. Yeah. One other thought on the um, the plotting principle related to doing the hard thing that's in front of you. Is, is, isn't it the hardworking farmer who will reap the crop? That's right. But providentially, you look at general revelation, the way God's wired up the world is the crop comes after the work. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about this, <laughs> even my ability to raise sons here. I'm like trying to help them and instill in them the sense of like, <laughs> wasn't it Peyton? One of those Gatorade commercials, you're going to have to sweat it to get it. <laughs> I don't know. That? You're going to you're gonna have to sweat it to get it. That was like a little phrase and he's hilarious. But this principle, it's like, man, but, but, you know, I, I, I do think there's a kind of a lot of late teen, 20 year olds that are thinking, oh, you know, but look at all the hard work I've done. Why aren't I making the money that my, yeah. my parents are making? <laughs> Why aren't I making the money? It's like, you're not going to, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's like, you're going to have to put in a lot more time than you think you're going to have to put in in order to get the crop. And when the crop comes, it, it may be smaller than you think it's going to be. Yeah. And that's okay. But you, so just keep doing the hard work, do it in faith, ask God to bless it. And then when the crop comes, rejoice and keep laboring. And you'll see there's kind of an exponential um, growth that yeah. happens as you stay at the plow, as you stay working. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that goes with this, Jared, is how we ought to be in each other's lives as brothers and sisters so that we can help them to see mm-hmm. evidences of God's grace in their life as they're growing in that grace. Because we can see it as pastors. We talk to folks in the congregation and we see what God's doing over time, whereas their faithfulness day in and day out, it just feels like the same thing. Nothing's really changing. Mm-hmm. But whenever you take markers and say, man, you remember last year when you taught this Sunday school lesson, last year when you preached versus what's happened now as you're doing the same thing, it's evidence of what God's yep. doing in your life. Amen. Hey, well, plot on, brothers and sisters. Amen. And plot we're for gonna, God. We're going to be... <laughs> Oh, it hurts so bad when you say that stuff. Somebody's going to put that on a t-shirt. You watch. You watch. I want a little quote. I want Tom Askell. I want the persistent widow, man. Coming, coming with a plot for God underneath of it. We're going to plot on. We're going to be talking about the 1689 Confession in the next segment. We'll see you in a moment. Founders Ministries held its first conference in 1983. Since that time, we've expanded the ministry to produce books and journals and have regional conferences and fraternals to have a study center. Uh, We've done multiple things here in the United States and around the world to seek the recovery of the gospel of God's grace and the reformation of local churches. Our desire has always been to facilitate healthy church living. We want to resource pastors and church leaders. We couldn't have done that without financial supporters through the years. We've never made a big deal about financial support. We've never made great appeals for financial support, but we do need financial resources to do the things that we are doing. We are grateful for those who stood with us, and we would be delighted to have you come and join us in this ongoing fight to see the gospel of Jesus Christ maintain its pride of place in Christian thinking and in our Christian churches. Uh, We've established this new way of giving called the Founders Alliance Membership. I invite you to become a part of the FAM with us. There are different levels at which you can give to become a monthly supporter, or if you just like to make a one-time gift, we would welcome that as well. Uh, There's a big fight in front of us. We have a great concern that is arising among our churches and within the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And we would be delighted to have you stand with us, to unite with us, to join arms with us in this fight. 
Thanks for your support. Pray for us. If the Lord enables you to invest financially in this ministry, we would welcome that. Welcome back to the second segment of The Sword and the Trial. We're going to be talking about the 1689 Confession of Faith of Baptists. And it's kind of uh, interesting to us. We just discovered we have not really promoted this as a book in and of itself in one of these segments. And so Same. we thought, man, this is a time to do Same. that. Uh, obviously, we've talked about it in different circumstances here on this show. And, and if you keep up with Founders Ministries, you've learned about the 1689 Confession. So, Jared, uh, when was the confession... When did it come out? Man. Uh, think, think, think. Oh, there you go. There you go. Actually, it was written in 1677, mm-hmm. but it wasn't widely distributed till 1689. And the Act a of Glorious Toleration. Revolution, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, the Act of Tolerance, uh, Toleration came out, and so there was a greater freedom to do those things. But this is a wonderful confession of faith. This particular version, the modern English version of the 1689, is something that Founders has produced. Stan Reeves, who is the man that got Founders on the internet before most people knew what an internet was, and has been the the kind of web genius behind Founders Online for decades now. Uh, he's the one that actually meticulously worked through this to get it in modern English, and we published it and distributed it, and it has been widely utilized. I think this has been the uh, the most widely distributed book that Founders Ministries has ever published. That's good news because this is a this is a glorious heritage that we have. Baptists uh, often get confused thinking that uh, kind of the Baptistic thing to do is to say we have no creed but Christ, but that's not true. Uh, here, all the way back to tie, linking up with our brothers uh, with the Westminster Confession and the Savoy Confession as well, those three taken together um, had such great unity, and it was a deep doctrinal unity. It was the kind of unity that was was also willing to say, here's where we differ, mm. and yet we're going to kind of nail our colors down and say, this is what we believe. And it's just a great confession. I find that most Baptists look at the 1689, and it's kind of daunting to them. They're like, whoa, that's big. And so they might go New Hampshire, they might go mm. abstract, which is so weird because... In the Presbyterian world, you know, I don't get the exact same flavor. They have a process for which you can take exemptions. You know, you can state where you disagree with mm-hmm. the Westminster, but it's not this like big daunting thing. It's like the book's not really that big when you think about it from, you know, if you're serious theologian, pastor kind of thing, you can read through this and you can identify uh, phrases that you might not agree with. And then as you employ it in your church, um, I've told a lot of guys this. One of the things I really hope that the Calvinistic Baptists would do, both within the Southern Baptist Convention and those who are outside, um, that as they think about planting churches or revitalizing churches, that they would labor to a stronger confession. And I think often guys want to go with a smaller confession. And the case is, well, I want to do this so that um, a person doesn't have to agree with everything in this to become a member of the church. Well, the problem is, even if you go with the New Hampshire, you've still got stuff in there that people are not yeah. going to dis- agree with. So you're, the problem is you're using the confession in the wrong way. Use the confession and say, yeah, our leaders are going to have unity on this. There's going to be real crystal clear unity. And our members, we're going to be looking for a general affirmation that, yes, we know this is how the, this is the confession upon which the church is going to teach. I'm not going to teach contrary to this confession, but we have people coming into our church all the time that don't don't know the totality of these doctrines that that are confused by some of them. And so you can actually have a stronger confession and employ it in a better way. I think that's a better uh, way forward for our churches. Yeah, I agree with that. A robust confession is healthy for a church. Uh, what's your favorite chapter in the 1689 confession? That's hard to, uh, to say, but I do like um, number one on the Holy Scriptures, the lovely phrase, 
I remember when I um, read this, how how helped I was. Um, which paragraph is it? It's the um, the one about the assurance that the word of God is the word of God. I think it's paragraph five, where it says the testimony of the church of God may stir and persuade us to adopt a high and reverent respect for the Holy Scriptures. Testimony of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Moreover, the heavenliness of the contents, the power of the system of truth, the majesty of the style, the harmony of all the parts, the central focus on giving all glory to God, the full revelation of the only way of salvation, and many other incomparable qualities and complete perfections all provide abundant evidence that the scriptures are the word of God. And so you hear it's prepping for something, but all of those are wonderful testimonies that cause our hearts to go, yeah, look at this, look at this, look at this. We can show you that the word of God is truly the word of God. Even so our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority of the scriptures comes from the internal work of the Holy spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. And so why do I believe the word of God? the inner witness of the Holy spirit. And you say, boy, you know, people get so upset with that. And you're like, this is, this is the work of God. This is how he confirms his word to us. And, and this confession doesn't supplant the word of God. It, in fact, it takes uh, a place under the authority of the word of God, by the way, it speaks of the, the word of God. And I like that next section in chapter one as well. The whole counsel of God concerning everything essential for his own glory and man's salvation, faith and life is either explicitly stated or by necessary inference contained in the Holy Scriptures. And mm-hmm. there's a, a very significant difference there between this and the Westminster. Some people skate over that, but there's a very clear sense of the Baptist understanding and a Baptist hermeneutical principle that's at play there. It goes on in that same section and says, um, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit is necessary for saving understanding. And then this sentence, which is very good. Again, it shows the humility of those who put it together. We recognize that some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church are common to human actions and organizations and are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian wisdom, following the general rules of the Word, which must always be observed. So we can't look to the Bible in, as a... Uh, uh, a dictionary or a cooking book, you know, that tells us, okay, take, do this, do this, do this, do this at every point. Uh, we worship God and we're regulated by the word of God, but the word of God doesn't speak to us about what kind of chairs to use and, and much when to, be, to meet. Yeah. Much to be learned about from the light of nature. That's right. Paying attention to general revelation as well as special revelation. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Hey, we sell this at founders.org. Go there, click on the store, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. We even often do deals if people want to buy big old cases for their churches. So give us a call. We would love to get this good resource into your hands. When we come back, we're going to be continuing studying through God's law, um, observing what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I want to invite you to the upcoming Southeast Regional Founders Conference in Cape Coral, Florida. It's scheduled for December the 5th through the 7th, and Grace Baptist Church will be hosting it again this year. The theme is going to be the law and the gospel, and Dr. Tom Nettles, Dr. Tom Hicks, and Dr. Jared Longshore will be joining me as we try to set forth exegetically, theologically, pastorally, and practically this vitally important subject. In generations past, it was not uncommon to find within the Protestant Reformed heritage those who recognized the significance of this theme to the degree that they would say a man was not really prepared to be a pastor if he didn't understand the relationship between law and gospel, their distinctions, and the way that they support one another. 
One of the things that's forgotten in our day is that the God who gave us the gospel also gave us the law. And God loves his law as much as he loves his gospel. And Jesus Christ, who came and revealed to us salvation and has given us the gospel by his life, death, and resurrection, came and magnified the law. So mark your calendars and plan to join us in sunny southwest Florida in December, the 5th through the 7th, for this Southeastern Regional Founders Conference. Registration will be forthcoming, so check check us out at founders.org for more information. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel. In this segment, we want to look at a command of Scripture, and the command we want to look at today is Romans 12, 15. First 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is laying doctrinal foundation as he's given exposition to the nature of God's gospel in Jesus Christ, the gospel that comes to us by grace. And then in chapter 12, he makes this wonderful application, therefore, therefore. And so he starts off in this 12th chapter with just a list of admonitions. And one of those admonitions in verse 15 is to rejoice with those to rejoice and weep with those who weep. Mm. You know what I've discovered? I'd be interested in your take on this, but I find that very often it's easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I, I think that's a commentary maybe of the way pride works in my heart and mind. Someone is suffering, you know, your heart goes out to them and you want to comfort them and console them. And so to enter into that suffering, I can do that because it doesn't threaten me in any way. But if somebody has great blessing and they're rejoicing, there's this temptation that rises up in me to think, how come I'm not getting that blessing, you know, or what 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 are they doing that I'm not doing? And, and all of those wicked, evil kind of things can tampen down my uh, call to rejoice with them. And yet, man, we're to do that. And so as God's grace works in us, we see God blessing somebody, a brother over here, and we say, man, praise God for that. Even though, you know, I'm not getting that same blessing, or I may be going through a really hard time, if I see God doing something wonderful in my brother or sister's life. The command of scripture is, and God gives us grace then, to really rejoice with them and to say, this is God's goodness on display. Yep. This command, of course, is highlighting the uh, corporate nature of our existence, yeah. that we are we are one body in Christ Jesus. And it's a great command for us because of the temptation to individuality. We think, well, I'm just me. I'm doing my own thing here. But no, we're, we're a team. We're together. And therefore, if one of us suffer, yeah. then we all suffer. And if one of us win, then we all win. And seeking to cultivate this mindset, boy, that is a, that is a, um, it's a challenge, but it's a, it's a lovely thing when we start to get our mind around it. And then just to see that that, that can be happening at the, um, all at the same time, Yeah, it even in our, is. even in our own local body. I mean, you get, yeah. you get a two, 300 Christians together and you're going to have people that are experiencing all kinds of, um, just, the kind of blessings that lift you up, the yeah. kind of blessings that say, Hey, this is victory. And then even on the downside, these are the blessings of trial and sorrow. And, um, but boy, having the ability to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But you can't do that if you're not living together with God's people, mm-hmm. you, you got to have a relationship that is close enough and strong enough to enter in. Mm-hmm. And if you live like this, if you kind of have those walls up or barriers up that keep you from really knowing 
other believers and being known by other believers, then you're not going to be able to fulfill this. At, at best, you'll be able to give kind of a superficial wave at it. What, kind, what, what are some of the things that keep us back from obeying this command right now? And then on the, on the flip, what, how would you counsel Christians? What are some things that they really need to lay hold of that they would begin to rejoice with those? Yeah, rejoice I, with I those think ones. what you said about our, our sense of corporate identity, that we are together in the body of Christ. And what I mentioned earlier, pride. You know, I see that in my own life. Whenever God's prospering someone, and I want to be prospered in that way, and maybe I've worked hard to be prospered in that way, and it's not happening. And I, I can tend to think... You know, why is that guy getting it? And I'm not, and yet I'm supposed to rejoice with him. And what that does is it exposes me and it becomes an opportunity for me to go deeper in seeing just how sin has rooted itself into my way of thinking and God's grace needs to penetrate to root it out. So pride definitely and not sensing that we are one. I think those things can uh, hinder us from obeying these commandments. Mm, amen. Well, may we press on in obeying our Lord and following him. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Do check out founders.org and consider what it means to join the FAM, the Founders Alliance membership. There are different ways that you can join us as we continue to work before us. And check out the documentary. We are hoping to release this before too many more weeks, and we need your support to distribute it as widely as possible. Uh, you're going to love the trailer. Go check it out.